So as a reminder, we're going through the Gospel of John in the morning and in the book of Deuteronomy in the evening service um, to avail yourself of really the, the whole counsel of the Word of God. Um, I encourage you to be, to be present in the evenings as well as most of you are. Also, you're all invited to our prayer service. It's uh, 5 o'clock every Sunday evening. Um, we turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer for the church and for our country, for the, the world. So in the Gospel of John, we're, we're in chapter 1. We'll be finishing up chapter 1 today. Uh, the first part of John 1 is a pro- prologue. It's John introducing Jesus, uh, introducing Jesus to the readers of this particular Gospel. Uh, he says that God is Jesus, and Jesus is God. Uh, Jesus came as a man, but He was always God. He was the Creator. He calls Him the Word and says that He was with God in the beginning. But then after the prologue, He describes the first, what we think is maybe the first four days of Jesus' ministry, or maybe the first two days of Jesus' ministry, and two other days of John the Baptist's ministry. Regardless, it's four days that are described in these last verses of chapter 1. We also see that we are introduced to the Gospel writer himself, to John, the Apostle. Although he's never mentioned by name, uh, most agree that he is always kind of present in his text. Um, And he describes... uh, things that only a first person uh, would know. So we get to, I think we get to see John this morning as well. The text is John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. You can remain seated. It's a long passage, but hear this holy and inspired word. John chapter 1. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? 
Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Not only the written word, which is so precious to us, but the actual word of God, Jesus, your son, who came to show us the father, who came to show us you. We pray that these words, these words would encourage our souls, that you would be glorified. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a, a mighty uh, chapter of evangelism. You see people coming to Christ because of the words of others often. But it's important to note that none of these disciples seem to come to Jesus in exactly the same way. Some are brought by a family. Some are brought to Jesus by a friend. Some are called directly by the voice of Jesus. Some are pointed to Jesus by a preacher. And in the case of John the Baptist, we know from Luke chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit was with John the Baptist in his mother's womb. It says, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So it's the job of every preacher and teacher and pastor to proclaim the truth of God with passion and, and feeling and to proclaim it as, as it really is, the truth, the truth of life. But certainly the Holy Spirit does the work. And the Holy Spirit uses all kinds of, of different things to bring people to Himself. We see this in this chapter. Friends and family, preachers, the Holy Spirit or the voice of Jesus speaking his word. It's always, though, the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves our understanding the gospel, the work of Jesus. Some of you can pinpoint the exact time in your life when, God's, when God changed you. You know this. You know that you were not serving God at one time, especially you who came to Christ as adults. And then maybe you, you had some kind of experience. Uh, some kind of thing happened and you knew that God had saved you at that moment. Others, it was a more gradual thing. You, you didn't know God one day and then maybe months or, or, or a, a long period of time later, you realized that you really did have faith in God. If you were raised in a Christian family, you may not have ever known a time when you didn't love Jesus and want to serve Him. <coughs> But in all this, we should be encouraged that God is sovereign. So as we spend some time in, in this wonderful passage, let us just acknowledge that God is the one who saves. And He saves the way He will save. 
and it's none of our business when and how this happens. We're just called to be faithful to the Word of God. So the title of the sermon is Knowing and Sharing the Truth. We see that these men became aware of truth and then they began to share the truth with others. Uh, it, it really, this, this, this first chapter, again from verse 19 until the end, summarizes four days in the life of John the Apostle. In the first day, he describes that John the Baptist was really kind of being investigated like the FBI showing up unannounced at your doorstep. This is probably how John the Baptist felt as these, these people from Jerusalem, from the Sanhedrin, came to investigate what he was doing with all this baptism. And then it says, and the next day, and then he describes John the Baptist testifying to the crowd about Jesus, whom he had probably already baptized because Jesus then returns later at least in, in this particular Gospel, seems that He's coming back. Jesus is coming back from His temptation in the wilderness. But in day two, John the Baptist will not be silent. These people have just kind of intimidated Him, and He's still preaching about Jesus. He's still proclaiming the Son of God. And now we read in verse 35, and the next day, it's the next day, it's the third day that the, the Gospel writer John the Apostle is, is telling us about. And he said on the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he's still proclaiming the truth about God. So the two points we're going to look at today, the next day, the, the third day, we're going to talk about following and telling others about Christ. Following Christ and telling others the truth about Christ. And then the fourth day, the next day after that, verse 43, obeying Christ and sharing the truth about Christ. We'll see the call of Andrew, John, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel in these two days. So the next day, the third day, we see Andrew and John and Peter come to Christ. John the Baptist was saying the same thing that he had said the previous day. And who knows how long he had been saying this we get the idea that this was not a new message for him. And this is a great encouragement um, for teachers or preachers because often it feels like you're saying the same things, and that's okay. Someone asked me once, well, it seems like your, your, your sermons are all kind of similar. And it's because they are. They all proclaim in some way the truth of Christ. And yet sometimes... Sometimes the Holy Spirit uses that truth that's been proclaimed over and over and over again to make a change in someone's life. But the truth is the same. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. We're called to repent of our sin, to have faith in Christ, to look to the Lamb of God for salvation, to trust in God, to stay in the Word, to turn to Him in prayer. These things are unchanged. Yet the texts that we study may be slightly different. That does bring up a, something about Meadow Creek and most Bible-believing churches that may be different from other churches. Our goal is not to entertain you. It's not to teach some new amazing doctrine or find some new and wonderful way to say what the Scriptures teach. Our goal is not to tickle your ears or to 
to affirm that you're okay and I'm okay and we're all going to heaven together, although those things may be true. We're not primarily called to comfort you or to find ways to meet all your needs. We're called to boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. That there's great rebellion against God in the heart of every man and Christ is the ladder between God and man. He's the only way to the Father. The only hope for mankind. And by believing the Gospel, your needs are met. It's not that I don't care about your needs, but I know the only way to meet your needs is to have the Holy Spirit touch you. And I often remind you of the paralytic who's laid at Jesus' feet. And you think, I know exactly what his need is. He needs life in his body. He needs to walk. And Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And it's as if Jesus was done. He had met his needs. And then he goes ahead and heals him anyway. But it was secondary, wasn't it? The Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's your most crucial need is to know and understand this every day. It's not just for the day that you're saved. It's for every day of your life to remember the truth of Jesus. So John is proclaiming, John the Baptist is proclaiming again, Behold the Lamb of God. This this may have been something he said amongst other things that he said. It may not be the only thing he ever said, but certainly it was the center of his preaching. Behold the Lamb of God. And we read that two of his disciples heard it this time. They heard it. Maybe for the first time, their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. And we see in verse 37, the two disciples heard Him say this and they followed Jesus. In verse 40, we read who these people are. One was one of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. One of the two was. The other is unnamed, but he's right there. He seems to know what's going on. This is kind of the pattern of John the Apostle to write as if he's present, but not mention himself. And as I said, most believe that this is John referring to himself as one of these two who heard Jesus that day. God's timing was a wonderful thing. Their eyes were both opened. And they immediately went to Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus saw them and said, what are you seeking? And they called Him Rabbi. Teacher, where are you staying? Jesus saw them following Him. He knew what was going to happen. There was nothing uncertain in the mind of Christ. And He welcomes them into His presence. He knows that these men will suffer greatly for the kingdom. He knows that these men will be with Him for the next three, three and a half years of ministry. He knows that He will call them to leave their nets and to follow Him on a difficult journey. And you may wonder if there's some discrepancy between the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and this Gospel, John, Because the synoptics describe Jesus calling Andrew, James, and John as they were fishing. And Peter. But there's no contradiction. What we see is the Apostle John writing 
filling in gaps of information that he thinks are important for the church to know. So John, as he often does, is talking about the spiritual work of God, emphasizing the spiritual nature of what's happening. So the conversion of these men is at play here. And then later, we see the synoptics referring to the time when when Jesus actually calls them to leave their their nets and follow Him in full-time service. So John's talking of their conversion. Later, the synoptics talk about Jesus calling them to leave their nets, which may have actually been a few days after this. We don't know exactly. But there's so much wonderful about this passage. I love the response of the disciples to the message of John the Baptist. They got up and they followed Jesus. Little did they know that Jesus was calling them to a life of joyful suffering and hard service that would eventually lead to their, to their deaths. Maybe not John the Apostle, but the other three certainly. And this is a call for all of us, of course, to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow Him. And Jesus, they called Him Rabbi. Jesus had never been to any seminary. He'd never been taught at the Sanhedrin like the rest of the rabbis. The rabbinical school was something that was foreign to Christ. He did not go to those places to learn. And yet He taught with, as one with authority. He was the ultimate rabbi. He was the true teacher of Israel. He was God. And John has already told us what Jesus came to do in verse 18. He shows us the Father. He makes the Father known. We should all want to follow the rabbi, Jesus. To follow in His steps. To know where He is staying. And to want to be with Him. So we see some evangelism in in verse 41. After these two apostles... Two disciples heard John preaching and followed. They go and they tell someone else. Andrew found his brother Simon, verse 41, and said, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. On this third day, we see often how evangelism works. And it's usually, it's usually preachers and family members who are bringing people to see Jesus. Andrew goes to his brother and says, this is the Messiah. This is a title. Jesus Christ. Christ is not His name. It's His title. He's the Christ. The Messiah. He wants his brother Simon to come as well to see this this man. If you have a close relative who you're concerned about, certainly you don't want to just pound them away every single time you see them and hear them, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. But pray that God gives you an opportunity to have a real heart conversation with this person. Then be bold. Never grow weary of sharing the truth with someone who is not a believer. Or maybe who claims to be a believer but has no fruit in their lives. Who still embraces sin. You gain nothing by making assumptions that someone is a Christian when their lives seem to indicate everything else. So Andrew goes to Peter, and he does what we should all do. He says, come, come see. Come see Jesus. And when Jesus sees him, 
he immediately renames him. This is a, 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 a sign of ownership. And this is something that I think is lost greatly or in large measure on the modern church. We seem to think of, of us as really kind of owning Jesus by the way we speak and think about our salvation, but really, we're all like Peter. He owns us. He names him Cephas, which is Aramaic for rock. And Peter is Greek, Petros, Greek for rock. Knowing all that would come, Jesus names him rock. This is going to be the one of the cornerstones of the early church. So he owns him, he names him, just as he named Abram and Sarai and Jacob and Saul, Abraham, Sarah, Israel, and Paul, he renames Simon, Peter, or Cephas. This is one uh, special, really special part of this kind of first, this third day, is we see some, some, some details about the time. And I hope you notice this because this is, I think, I think indicating something really, really powerful about John the Apostle. We don't know exactly why the Apostle John tells us the time. This happened about the 10th hour. So in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish clock, the hour starts at 6 a.m. So this happened about 4 p.m. This happened about the 10th hour. Why is the time important? To us, it may not be very important. They went to Jesus where He was staying, His temporary dwelling, and spent the rest of the day with Him. The day ended at sundown, so maybe from 4 to 7, 4 to 8. John, the Apostle, is with Jesus. So remember that John wrote this Gospel at near the end of his life. He's, he's writing these things down. And I think he remembers the day he met Jesus. And he remembers this happened at 4 p.m. And I got to spend three hours with him that day. He still remembers the day and the hour. He loved Jesus. And we'll read later that he thought that Jesus loved him. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved over and over again. What security he had in the love of Christ. I think this is important for us to remember as well. We should all reflect on Christ's love for us and when we first began to love Him. Remember His grace to you, His work in your life, and this will produce a love for the man, for the God-man, Jesus. It will increase our love for Him the more we consider this. We'll see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You remember the Pharisees when they came to Jesus and were criticizing Him? He said, your father is Satan. And if you, if God were your father, you would have loved me. Not criticized. Not tried to kill me. You would have loved me. Those who are God's children love the Son. And this word is a familiar word in the Greek. It's agape. And it's, it's a full-bodied love. It's the emotional yearning for a person or thing, as well as the obedient following, the desire to please the person. 
True obedience is always a result of love. If it's godly obedience, it's only because you love God. And love always produces obedience. They go together. So we see in this response of John and Andrew and Peter throughout their lives, a love for Jesus. You remember Jesus restoring Peter after His resurrection. He tells him, don't you love me? Don't you love me? Three times. Don't you love me? And Peter said, yes, you know I love you. So feed my sheep. It produces a changed life. This love that we have for our Father and for the Son. Well, that's the end of day three. Day three in this this four-day journey through chapter one. Andrew, John, and Peter are converted by the preaching and by family evangelism. Now we turn to day four in verse 43. The next day, the fourth day, we see more people obeying Jesus and sharing the truth about Jesus. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So He leaves the Jordan River and He goes to Galilee and He finds Philip. And He says to Philip, follow Me. He calls Philip Himself. He doesn't use a preacher. He doesn't use a family member. He actually goes to Philip and calls him. He says, follow Me. God usually uses someone to bring someone to Christ, but sometimes He just uses His own Word to bring someone to Himself. I went to the county Gideons conference this week. The Gideons were founded in 1899. Do you know they've distributed over 2 billion Scriptures around the world? That's a lot of Bibles. It's the oldest association of Christian businesses, businessmen and professionals in the United States. And countless people have come to faith in Jesus Christ by reading a Gideon Bible, by reading the Gospel of John or some other portion of the Word. And the Holy Spirit convinces them that what they're reading is right. Philip heard the call of Jesus directly from Jesus. Only it was a spoken word. Jesus found him and said, follow me. It's the same for all of us, isn't it? Jesus finds you and he says, follow me. And this verb follow is the clearest command that can be communicated. In the Greek, it's what we call a present active imperative. First person. Sorry, second person command. A present active imperative. Present, that means now. Do this now. Active, you must obey now. You must get up and do this now. And then imperative, it's a command. It's not a request, it's a command. And it's second person, it's directly to Philip. He's not saying, y'all follow me. He's saying, you, Philip, follow me. Bonhoeffer talks about the calling of the apostles in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, which I recommend to all of you. Bonhoeffer writes, This encounter is a testimony to the absolute, direct, and unaccountable authority of Jesus. There is no need of any preliminaries and no other consequence but obedience to the call. Because Jesus is the Christ, He has the authority to call 
and to demand obedience to His Word, Jesus summons men to follow Him, not as a teacher or a pattern of a good life, but as the Christ, the Son of God. In this short text, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and His claim are proclaimed to all men. Not a word of praise is given to the disciple for his decision for Christ. We are not expected to contemplate the disciple, but only Him who calls and His absolute authority. According to our text, there is no road of faith or discipleship, no other road, only obedience to the call of Jesus. This made me think about how we should we should all be careful about how we talk about our own conversion or how God converts others. We, our culture often presents it in terms of really our supremacy in the transaction, if you will. Our supremacy as men in salvation with God kind of hopelessly waiting. He's just waiting for us to do something. But the modern way of describing the call is often unbiblical. When in the New Testament do you ever hear Jesus say, please allow me to come into your life? Please decide for me. When do you hear any disciples of Jesus say, I invited Jesus into my heart. I allowed Jesus to change me. Indeed, some of these things are almost sounding heretical. Or that was the day I decided for Jesus. And certainly, we all have a day when we decide for Jesus. That's that's certain. We all have a will that has to decide to follow Jesus. But we need to remember that our faith is a result of Christ subduing you to Himself. When Christ called Philip, He had subdued Philip's soul to Himself. And Philip saw Jesus for who he was with open eyes, with a new heart, and he rose and followed him. When Jesus calls a man, it's not a request. The gospel isn't a message of requests. It's a declaration of Jesus Christ, of his person and his redemptive work, and it's a call to follow him. He's not asking. He's not groveling. He's not waiting for our decisions. He's commanding men everywhere to serve Him. He's the Lord. He's the King. He's the Christ, the Creator. He's the Master. And Philip and the others did follow Jesus. Our obedience to the call is a real decision. This is true. But it's always preceded by a mighty work of God. One of the most mighty works that God ever does is changing the heart of a man, making him born again. This is what happens when these men are saved, and when we were saved. But then Philip didn't stop there in verse 45. Philip went and found Nathanael, who must agree that this is just another name for Bartholomew. Philip went and found another apostle, Nathanael, and said to him, we found the one who Moses speaks of and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I find this particular paragraph just to be delightful in its evangelism. It's, it's like our brother Patty says, you, you just need to talk about Jesus. Evangelism shouldn't be uh, intimidating. Just start talking about Jesus. This is what Philip does. He finds Nathaniel and he says, you've got to come see Jesus. 
Jesus and all of the all of the disciples except Judas Iscariot were from Galilee. All of them. None of them were down from from rich Jerusalem. They were all from Galilee, which was a despised place. And this was also to fulfill prophecy that there would be. Well, Isaiah nine speaks that there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's Galilee. But in the latter time, He has made a glorious way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. So with this context, Philip goes to Nathanael and he says, come see the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Those words are also interesting, aren't they? Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus was a real man. He's anchored in history. He had a real life, a real history, a real dad from a real place. And Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It felt to me like Texans talking about Austin. Can anything good come out of Austin? You see, everyone in Galilee was despised. And Nathaniel is from Galilee. And he's, as a despised Galilean, he's even despising Nazareth. And it may not be completely hostile. It may just be that he knows the Scriptures. And he knows that Nazareth really is not mentioned as a place where Messiah would come. But Philip's response, I believe, is also admirable. He's not going to debate Nathaniel. He just says, come and see. Come and see. When you talk to someone about Jesus, you don't have to have every answer. But you can just say, come and see. Come to church. Come to our family worship. Come to church and hear the preaching of the Word. See the sacraments, display the gospel, hear the heartfelt prayers of God's people. The Holy Spirit is present and working there. Come and see. And then Nathaniel is, is convinced to come and, and meet Jesus. And Jesus tells him that he is an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. In other words, he's not perfect, but he has no ulterior motives. He's trying to serve God. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus describes that he saw Philip when he was under the fig tree. He's, he's showing his divinity to Nathaniel. What Nathaniel was doing, it doesn't really matter. But it was something that only God would know. And Nathaniel's response is emphatic. He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. So what a statement to make. We see through the next three years that the disciples are often questioning the truth of that particular statement. But what a statement to make. It was absolutely true, and by the Holy Spirit, certainly He spoke it. And they would eventually fully believe it. But here it's just a heartfelt declaration in the moment of faith in Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. And amen. We should all be as bold. When you talk about Jesus to unsaved people, to people who don't know the truth, 
you don't need to find the exact right words to say. Tell me about Jesus. Who is He? Well, He's the Son of God. He's our Savior. He's the King of the world. He's the Creator. Just say it. Jesus displays His his divinity to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel believes. But experiences are not the basis of faith. He says, eventually you're going to see more and more of my glory. You're going to believe me, not just for supernatural things that you see me do, but you're going to believe in me. And this leads us to the very end of the chapter, verse 51, where he says, truly, truly. This is the first time that Jesus says truly, truly in the Gospel of John. In Aramaic, it's amen, amen. Truly, truly, I say to you. And this is a, a plural it's, it's a you all, it's a y'all. Truly I say to you all, you will all see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen, amen. This will happen. And you will all see it. You will all see what Jacob saw in his dream. You will all see this as a reality. So what is Jesus actually saying? What is the latter with with angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We may have multiple kind of inferences. One may be to Christ's second coming, when angels will come with them, shouting with the trump, uh, shouting the glory of God and announcing the King who is coming again. But it seems that it's also showing that God is coming down and connecting Himself to mankind. Notice that God is the one who provides the staircase or the ladder. God is the one coming down and connecting Himself to earth. God is the one making the way. That's Genesis 28. Remember a few chapters before that, we see man building Babel and, and, and reaching up and trying to become God, to reach God, to reach heaven. God shows Jacob that it's actually God's work to come down to man. Jesus is saying, really, He's the way to the Father. He's the only mediator between God and man. No one comes to the Father except through Him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So let me summarize. We've seen God today calling people to Himself in this third and this fourth day of the Apostle John. John and Andrew heard the preached Word of God from John the Baptist. They went and told Peter, his brother, Andrew's brother, and he came to Jesus. Then Jesus looked for and went directly to Philip and called Philip in Galilee himself. And then Nathanael was brought to Jesus by a friend who said, come and see. Come and see. Today, I also ask you to come and see the God who made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, and He gives life to all mankind. You are existing today only because of God. Only because He gives you being are you even here. And in past times, 
of your former ignorance God has overlooked up to this point in your life. He knows your rebellion. He knows your sin. He knows your heart better than you do. And He hasn't destroyed you up to this moment as you so rightly deserve. As we all so rightly deserve. But now He commands people everywhere to repent. He commands you to turn and repent and have faith in Jesus Christ. That's not a popular message, is it? The Gospel is not a popular message. Jesus loves you and He has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not the Gospel. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth and died for the sins of sinners like you and me, and He calls you to repent and to believe on Him for life. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified at the hands of sinful men by the appointments of His Father. And He took the wrath that was due people just like you and just like me. And after three days, He rose from the dead. And after 40 days, He ascended to His throne in heaven. And He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And He calls you to follow Him. To place your faith and your trust in Him. It's the only way to be right with God. And no one is right with God apart from real faith in Christ. But I read my Bible every day. Do you have faith in Christ? I've been a member of this church for a hundred years. You have faith in Christ? But I walked the aisle when I was six years old at a, at a revival. Okay, but do you have faith in Christ? None of those things will save you. There will be many on the last day who will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And they'll say, away from me. I never knew you. You need to turn to Jesus today. Follow Jesus today. Don't be among those who are, who are so, so blinded by their own pride that they think that they're somehow good with God apart from a changed life in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit must do a work in you. Turn to Him today. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that You have indeed given us Your Son to show us the way to the Father. Such was Your love for mankind that You didn't leave us all to perish, but You desire to give life. We thank You that life is found in Jesus. We pray that we would all be responsive to Your Word. For those who do not know You, that their, their hearts would be changed by Your Spirit like Andrew and John for the first time, that they would behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and follow Him. And for those who have faith in Christ today, that they would be comforted by the Gospel, that the Gospel would encourage their souls, that they would be, be grateful for the, for the wonder of their salvation. They would focus on the, the Lamb of God and see the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ more and more every day. May we all be convinced of how great and wide and long and high is the love of God for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So would you please stand with me and sing our hymn of